And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd, your trusted small business advisor, small business advocate and lover of all things small business. We once again have a fantastic guest on the program today who's going to be talking to us a little bit about uh, life cycles within a business and how to identify them and understand why it's important to understand them in order to understand what the pitfalls are. It's going to make itself more clear as we come onto the program, but welcome to our special guest, Salman Khan from TACT Advisory. Thank you very much, Alexi. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. It's going to be a great show, actually. I'm, I'm very excited about this. We have touched on, uh, you know, difficulties in business and different issues that businesses face through the multiple guests on our show. But what I like about today's show is we're going to be bringing it all together and talking about understanding what the pitfall and the risks are. Now, your background, give me a little bit about your small business journey and why it is that you're an expert in this field. So my background is, I guess you'd call me a a career accountant. I did a Bachelor of Commerce and I moved straight into consulting and advisory. So I've got a background in tax, but Mm -hmm. most applicable to this topic is I've got a background in liquidations and insolvency. Mm. So my job in that case would be to walk into small businesses that had gone sideways um, and figure out why they'd gone wrong and investigate it and then report to ASIC. So, <laughs> so you uh, actually report to the big guys. We did report to the big guys. We've prosecuted probably about $100 million worth of director penalties as well. So wow. we know exactly how people do things that are wrong and sometimes they do things fraudulently. Uh-huh. Um, so when you look at things in that much minutia after it's gone wrong, you can quickly figure out where it started going wrong mm-hmm. and how this could have been avoided. And that's pretty much why I started the practice, mm-hmm. to address this before it went wrong and it went into insolvency. So when you were working, were you working directly for ASIC and reporting those guys in or was it more that you were part of a bigger practice and you'd walk in and go, right, here's the issue, that, that and that, and then you'd report those issues on behalf of the business? So um, our, our engagements were quite varied. Um, sometimes we were, we were never employed directly by ASIC because ASIC is quite independent. Mm-hmm. Um, we would be appointed uh, in a lot of cases by court where um, the debts hadn't been paid. So there'd be an official liquidation where we'd walk in and we'd take the business apart, sell the assets and pay the creditors. Right. But at the same time, we'd have to investigate. Um, and in so we did some very large jobs where there was money sent off to the Cayman Islands and there was, um, yeah, all sorts well, that, of... Pro- that rings alarm bells straight away, exactly. doesn't it, when you say Cayman Islands? So we were thinking about $40 million in assets that were hidden all over rural <gasps> New South Wales. So we had wow. people buying cattle with <laughs> fraud- fraudulently um, acquired funds. And um, everything from something that big, which was an international insurance you know, case, to something as small as a, as a dental practice that... Um, the owner figured out that, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to run this business properly anymore. I should probably cut my losses and and, and close it down. Um, on occasion, we've also run massive retail chains. Um, I can't name names at the moment, but we, uh, we would walk in and we'd identify which stores weren't performing well, which staff weren't performing well. Uh, and we were hired by the directors to sort of restructure the whole business so we could go forward as a going concern rather than shut down completely. Right. So I can see that sometimes you're coming in there to fix the situation, whereas other times it's really like in the case of that unfortunate dentist Mm. where he just realised, look, it's not working. I'm I'm going backwards. I need to find a way to tie up all my loose ends and finish up. That's exactly right. Sometimes you're just the undertaker. It's (laughs) good. (laughs) <laughs> for the business. Mm-hmm. And that's quite an interesting um, set of skills you've got there because it sounds to me as though, and this is quite rare uh, when we have consultants on the program that you work with, not only 
huge businesses, big big chains, all the way down to very small practices. Is that because uh, you can see the same sort of problems being repeated either just on a bit different scale? Most definitely. Um, we usually find that at each stage of the at each stage of the business process of life cycle, mm-hmm. um, you will find the same pro- uh, same problems in about eighty percent of them, um, and people think that their business is um, unique and their problems are their own. But um, I'll, I'll let you in on something. I, I consult with a lot of clients now, and a lot of them are going through depression. Yeah. And when you when you talk to them and you tell them, look, this is normal. Um, you started a business. This is your first business. What you're going through is normal and these are the things we can do to pull you out of this and a month later i I very often get texts saying the most important thing was you told me i was not the only one who went through this kind of problem wow Um, and that's one of the best things about my job Mm -hmm. so although they're they're looking they're looking down the barrel uh it is still at least they're moving forward and they're not stuck in a rut exactly that's that's, fantastic that's a huge mistake people make they sort of stew and they stop looking at the business and it stagnates and then declines um, biggest mistake people can make is just to do nothing. It's funny how many different consultants we have on and even as a bookkeeper myself, we all wear psychology hats, don't mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. We've all got those assisting people and getting into this because we want to help people out of a jam exactly. um, and that's lovely what you do. But on the other side of things, you can also uh, come in with a bit of a big stick as well because as you mentioned at the beginning of the program, you can report people to um, ASIC if you believe that um, things are not going correctly and not being adhered to? Um, typically, not in the businesses that engage me now. So generally, a director will call me in to fix his own business. Uh-huh. Um, where the big stick, com- stick comes in is I've also got a background in commercial law. So um, where the debts haven't been paid to the business, mm. where I'm not a lawyer myself, but because we've been through the recovery process that many times, I can put in place the stuff that needs to be done um, send the required letters and then refer it to one of a few solicitors that I work with, mm-hmm. given the industry, mm-hmm. um, and that's how we recover the debt. Or we restructure this business to protect it from frivolous lawsuits. Mm. Um, so there is a bit of a big stick approach, but we prefer to tread lightly mm-hmm. rather than use the big stick because mm-hmm. when you start using that big stick, um, it's quite costly with court fees. Um, and you ignore the main business. So the reason you're in business is to run the business, not to fight with another business. That's interesting, isn't yeah. it? Do you think um, talking about you know trying to re- regain those funds to pay people off, who are typically the creditors, or is it a huge range because you deal with such a range of businesses? Look, the most common creditor in these cases is the Australian Taxation Office. <laughs> Our best friend. <laughs> um, and they're generally... It's a big spectrum, the way they deal with things. I've had the ATO completely ignore some clients who have $100,000 debts and just say, you know what, you pay it you know, at $100 a week or whatever. And in the, on the other side, they've got a $10 debt and they're pursued to the ends of the earth for it. Um, so if you're a business owner and you nothing. It's funny how many different consultants we have on and even as a bookkeeper myself, we all wear psychology hats, don't mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. We've all got those assisting people and getting into this because we want to help people out of a jam exactly. um, and that's lovely what you do. But on the other side of things, you can also uh, come in with a bit of a big stick as well because as you mentioned at the beginning of the program, you can report people to um, ASIC if you believe that um, things are not going correctly and not being adhered to. Um, typically... Not in the businesses that engage me now. So generally a director will call me in to fix his own business. Uh-huh. Um, where the big stick, com- stick comes in is I've also got a background in commercial law. So um, where the debts haven't been paid to the business, 
Mm. I'm not a lawyer myself, but because we've been through the recovery process that many times, I can put in place the stuff that needs to be done, um, send the required letters, and then refer it to one of a few solicitors that I work with, Mm -hmm. given the industry. Mm -hmm. um, And that's how we recover the debt. Or we restructure this business to protect it from frivolous lawsuits. Mm. Um, So there is a bit of a big stick approach, but we prefer to tread lightly Mm -hmm. rather than use the big stick. Because Mm -hmm. when you start using that big stick, um, it's quite costly with court fees. Um, and you ignore the main business. So the reason you're in business is to run the business, not to fight with another business. That's interesting, isn't yeah. it? Do you think um, talking about you know trying to re- regain those funds to pay people off, who are typically the creditors or is it a huge range because you deal with such a range of businesses? Look, the most common creditor in these cases is the Australian Taxation Office. <laughs> Our best friend. <laughs> um, and they're generally... It's a big spectrum, the way they deal with things. I've had the ATO completely ignore some clients who have $100,000 debts and just say, you know what, you pay it you know, at $100 a week or whatever. And in the, on the other side, they've got a $10 debt and they're pursued to the ends of the earth for it. Um, so if you're a business owner and you've never been in this situation, it can be quite, quite unnerving to suddenly get a call from a, a random collection agency who's after a $9.50 in debt. Yeah, it's very weird, isn't it? They go through these different phases. Sometimes you'll see letters come out for these tiny weenie little mm-hmm. debts or people who are three days overdue with their PAYG mm-hmm. payments. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you've got people with really quite a lot of trouble and you mm-hmm. ring up and you go, look, I'm, I'm representing this person and they go, okay, that's all right. Mm-hmm. Let us know how much time you need and how you're going. And it's very softly, softly approach. And, well, do you think they need to be a little bit more consistent? Um, look, I'll be honest with you. My, my experience at the tax office has been quite varied. Uh, we, had a, uh, we had them make a clerical error on one of the lodgements we made, so on the ATO side, and uh, it was a $57,000. That's a big error. Keystroke, keystroke error. Um, well, just in, the comma was in the wrong spot. I don't know who entered it wrong. <laughs> um, but just to get them to review their, their data entry on their end um, and to acknowledge that they've made a mistake and they should stop sending the lawyers after us took 13 months worth of worth of negotiation. Oh, my goodness. That's when they insane. finally turned around and said, oh, someone's actually entered the data wrongly. Wow. And um, if and I just I just hate to think if the business owner was on his own yeah. trying to deal with this, it, that's it exactly would have been right. terrible. Yeah, or they just would have said, well, fine, that's the debt because that's what the ATO told me because exactly. they're supposed to be the experts in this field. And that was actually the first, um, first reaction that they had. Well, the ATO have calculated it. It must be correct. So speaking of creditors, do you find that the ATO sort of muscle their way in and say, well, we're creditor number one and employees or directors who are entitled to this or people who are entitled to dividends come much further down or do they allow other parts of the business if it's say for example if it's going into insolvency they allow other people to be paid and then say we'll we'll take the rest so the way the ato work they they brought in a set of provisions called the lockdown provisions in 2012 um, and if you are more than three months overdue with your lodgements for paoyg or superannuation it stops being a business debt and becomes the director's personal debt mm-hmm. um so, yes, they very, very very well muscle their way into um, getting the money one way or another. Um, another thing that they do is in the event of a liquidation, so I don't really deal with a lot of liquidations anymore. It's more pre-insolvency. Right. Um, but in the event of a liquidation, the ATO um, can actually, if the liquidator claws back some money from them, saying mm-hmm. that they received the money um, out of turn, they can actually then turn and say, well, the liquidator's taken this much money off us. We have the right to go after the director personally and get that money off him. 
Exactly, because so, they've made it a personal debt rather yes. than a, a company-based one. But in the, um, in the way we look at things, the ATO is in their favour what they refer to as a model litigant. So what that means is if you request information of them, they will give it to you, even if it does incriminate them or it does make them acknowledge that it was their mistake. So if you put in a request, they have to give you all the logs that include where they've made mistakes and whatnot. Hmm. Um, so in that case, they are a big bureaucracy, but they do play by the rules. Mm. And I think they're getting a little bit better with the softly, softly approach in that um, it's been my experience as a bookkeeper that if you sort of say, look, I'm handling this person, this person's trying to get themselves mm. out of trouble, mm-hmm. and maybe that's the same case with you with insolvency, yep. is that look, they're trying to fix it. We're yep. doing our best. We've got the right people on board now. We're not ignoring all the mm-hmm. phone calls or the letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I think they're getting a little bit better with that. Definitely. Not to say they're not a huge bureaucracy and don't make the mistakes. Well, it's the same with any large company, even if you don't with a large phone company or the electricity company. Mm. You've still got your first point of call is the, the call centre operator who's probably walked in on the job, you know, been there for a week and uh, doesn't know the technicalities of it. Mm, completely unskilled as well. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the different phases of business because, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's important to be aware of those different stages so you can sort of see from other people's examples what the pitfalls are. So obviously the, the, the beginning stage, of course, is the, the startup phase. You're really excited. You've got this brilliant idea mm-hmm. but really no idea about how to actually um, to, to set it up or instigate it properly. What what are the main things from a strategic point of view that people can do to make sure that further down the line they don't open themselves up to insolvency and, and issues like that? Okay, so the first thing you said was very correct. When people start up a business, they're very enthusiastic. They're really concentrating on buying the business cards and having fancy logos and um, you know they, they might even go to the extent of buying stock. We had a, we had a client who we advise probably not buy the stock so quickly, but they got so excited they spent $50,000 on stock. Let me guess, and put themselves in debt. Well, not put themselves in debt, but now they had no money to spend on marketing. Ah, awesome. (laughs) So two years later, because of this, they still had that stock left over because they bought the wrong sort of set. Yeah. Um, So they got very enthusiastic. So um, the pitfalls that you typically face in the startup phase is you let your emotion get ahead of you. Um, and I know that there's the advice saying, look, stop thinking about it, just go ahead and do it. Mm. A lot of people, you know, they say, you know what, if you've been thinking about starting a business, just do it and, and work your way through it. Yes, but my advice to people in that case is to sit down and do a business plan. Um, and I know that sounds very MBA, very academic, but it doesn't have to be 50 pages long. It could just be two or three pages, first page, this is the product. Um, And the most important question that I ask businesses when they're planning is, what problem do you solve? Hmm. If you are a business, any business, I mean, if you're a cafe even, you're providing a solution to a problem. Uh, Customers are coming to you because they need somewhere to have a nice coffee. They need somewhere to take their clients. They need somewhere to impress their girlfriend. They need somewhere to get them out out of trouble when they've forgotten a birthday. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. You are solving a problem. So what problem do you solve? How do you tell people you are solving this problem? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to go about solving this problem for people on a consistent basis? If you can answer those questions in the first page, Mm -hmm. you have a business. If you are going into it because you just want to start a cafe or you just want to start a mechanic and you don't have a specific problem that you're fixing, 
that's your first mistake and everything is sort of downhill or sideways from there because you don't have a direction. Mm. So on the one hand, it's very important to get started and, yes. and not sort of ponder on it for too long, but at the same time, at least have some sort of tra- strategy, some mm-hmm. direction, because I like the way you mentioned there that you've got to have a process, mm-hmm. you've got to have how am I going to do it, mm-hmm. and that becomes your step-by-step strategy for solving the problem, yep. which is actually you are instigating who? Who mm-hmm. is your client? And mm-hmm. all those things are wrapped up in just those three questions. Exactly. It's a good way of thinking of it. And again, we do talk a lot about practical strategies on small biz matters and the fact that, you know, you can get bogged down in that 50-page mm-hmm. marketing slash financial slash business plan. Not entirely necessary, like you said. It's good to have a... And there hasn't been a single business plan ever drawn up by any MBA or any academic or any business player ever that has come and said, we're going to make a loss. Mm. So on on paper, the numbers are always going to look fantastic, um, no matter which way you play it. And the thing you should really focus on is, are we actually fulfilling a need in the market? Yeah, and not going into a flooded market, which is always a very big danger, obviously. Well, no, you can go into a flooded market. There's nothing wrong with going into a flooded market. Um, If you're familiar with the book, The Purple Cow, um, if you go to France and you're driving down a highway... You will see these... these hit- I like as well the fact that in, in, in our notes here, you do mention that um, commit to an offering, but systemize it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you can't start systemizing until you know what your practice is and what your process is. Mm-hmm. But right from the beginning, my advice to people as an admin expert is start documenting even just the simple way that you interact with your potential clients. Mm-hmm. Start writing down template emails that you're happy with and you're happy with the wording and that will help speed up your processes mm-hmm. as well. And get yourself properly set up mm-hmm. with a good systemized uh, process like, you know, zero or, or myob or something okay. that you can that you can get it done. Because, I mean, you know, we've gone to the days of doing things on a, on a paper ledger these days. If you it? are still using a paper ledger... <laughs> get out of the 1940s. Get out of the 1940s. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing I'll tell you. Even if you're using an Excel sheet, mm. um, any every business owner, I'll give this advice to everyone here, free advice. Free advice. Free advice. Small biz matters. If, you, if there's one skill you need to pick up this week and you don't have it yet, it's how to use MS Excel. Yes. Um, I, planned my, I planned my wedding on MS Excel. So that's oh, my goodness. That's, yes. that's systemization right there. Were I you know. the bridezilla? No. <laughs> Can't admit <laughs> Come on, to that. you Can't were the bridezilla. That. But, um, but that's how versatile it is. You can plan pretty much everything on this, on this really simple-to-use tool. And once you start teaching people how to use it, I know people who can run their whole payroll on one sheet of MS Excel. Um, rather than having to sit there with a calculator and and do it. I mean, if you're still in startup phase, this will work for you. Maybe a year or two down the line when you're turning over a couple of hundred thousand, move on to zero or uh, MYOB. Yeah, but don't do it when you've got so much data where you haven't processed. You've got to keep on top of things as well. Mm -hmm. Look, we're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters on Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. So today we're talking uh, to Salman all about insolvency and understanding what the pitfalls are as a business. Many of my listeners today might not be in that position where they think, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's not my problem. It's I'm doing well. I'm ticking along nicely. I've got clients coming up. But what we're trying to do today is educate you on the pitfalls that we typically have in each phases of the business. And uh, Salman, being an expert in helping people out of the insolvency process for starters, rescuing, mm-hmm. for want of a better word, but also you've been there, you've been there with a the big stick, you've been there with reporting people who are doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Just in the break there, you mentioned that um, directors in particular have issues with um, one another mm-hmm. sometimes. Yep, yep. How do you recognise what the problem is straight away and see it so quickly and then deal with it? And you've had a bit of hairy situations as well, haven't oh, you? Oh, look, um, 
typically where you've got an established business and there's money to be lost or made, um, the dark side of people can come out. Um, generally, a very common business arrangement we find is you have someone who's the technical expert. So it could be the guy who is really good at laying fiber optic cable or the guy who's good at powder coating. And he'll team up with someone who's the marketing and sales expert who's there to drive business um, towards towards the business. And um, there's often a very bad personality mismatch in between the two where one believes that he's owed more money because he's the technical mind and the other one believes that he is the business because he's bringing in the money. Mm. Um, is it typically happened because people don't have the correct contractual arrangement at the beginning and they haven't made it clear from the word go? Yes, exactly. Um, so when you start a business, everything is new and exciting. As I said, everything, you can just see gold and rainbows everywhere you look. And um, when money starts being made or the lack of money starts being made, um, people will typically start saying, that's, my, that's not my job or that is my money. Um, and one will typically have a stronger personality and they'll try and bully the other into um, into bending to their will. And the hard part is sort of if once once that starts happening, the business will start to falter because it's not doing what it should be doing. Um, so when you have one partner who's got a bit too much power in the business, especially when you start having staff, you start having actual factions within the staff, as in I'm Team Tony and I'm Team Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, then staff don't start talking to start to not talk to each other. And... I've seen this happen on several occasions where it's a perfectly good business. It's an amazing business. It could be telecommunications. It could be a mechanics shop. It could be a restaurant. And because of this, these factions and these, these problems, the business actually does almost go into liquidation because work's not coming in. People feel like they don't need to do work. That's not their job description. Um, and on some occasions, fraud starts happening when partners start taking money out of the business or start using favours of the business for their own personal gain, um, such as hiring your girlfriend as a bookkeeper when she's got no bookkeeping experience. Um, things like that actually do happen just to annoy the other business partner. Mm. Um, and if you're in this kind of problem, the only advice I can give you is grow up. Yeah. Um, is it literally get a relationship counsellor? Is it kind of one of those, if you want to save this business, you need to sort out this relationship or um, is it I, just I probably away? wouldn't start doing trust falls and things like that in a relationship thing. I, w- I would sit down uh, with someone you respect. Um, I've seen people go to a priest. I've seen people go to a, to a, a family member. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, if they're both religious, typically yeah. they, they both have that respect for someone to, to sit them down and say, look, you need to take this into account. Or even as a business mentor or, say, a business coach that you've instigated so at some as point. As the accountant, sometimes it's me. <laughs> as you were saying, the psychology hat that you put yes, on it here in the show. And you just have to sit down and say, OK, it's your turn to talk and now it's your turn to talk. Um, and once you find middle ground and you get someone to say, OK, look, the business is suffering, nine out of ten times you can walk th- work through us. Um, if it gets to the point where lawyers are called in, that's typically when the business starts to get split down the middle and it gets quite hairy. Um, I hate seeing that happen because what it means is everyone loses in that case. And that's and it's because of personal problems that have escalated. Mm-mm. Now, coming back to the phases that we talked about at the beginning of the show, do you typically see this sort of scenario in the growth phase mm. where, or, or the stag- I guess you'd also have the stagnation phase, but the, the business has been going along quite nicely. They've got some staff now mm-hmm. and that's when the factions start to appear. Is it is it typically that growth phase situation? No, no, absolutely not. This doesn't happen in growth phase because in growth phase, everyone's too tired to fight. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> They're too distracted by actually growing. Money is finally coming in because for the first startup phase, the hardest part is getting that, that money in at the mm. start. Mm. And once money starts coming in and you realise you don't have the systems and procedures, I mean, for a restaurant, um, your staff aren't trained to upsell. Would you like, would you like a drink with that? Things, small things like that. If you don't have that at the start and then you enter growth phase, suddenly it's all hands on deck. People get tired. There's no time to fight. You might have a few problems. But it typically kicks in around the maturity phase. Right. Um, and occurs because of one of two things. One, now there's money to fight over. So I deserve more because I've done more work. Mm-hmm. Or this business isn't going what we thought it would. We've, we've sunk three or four years of our life into this business and it's your fault that it's not happening or it's um, your, fault, your, your decision here. You know, they start blaming each other. Mm. So typically where there is money, they're fighting over it where there's no money. They're fighting over the lack of money. Yeah. You're making me feel like one should never, ever, ever go into any sort of a partnership arrangement ever because, you know, I just feel like with personalities, it's it's fraught with danger. Well, to be a business owner in this day and age, you de- do need to have a lot of confidence. You need to you need to be the person that says, when I everyone said I'd fail, you went ahead and actually made a success of it. The problem is when that starts to escalate into ego, and you start thinking you're the only person who matters in this business. So it's quite healthy. What I recommend for people who are in partnerships with, with other people is to once a month at least have a sit-down coffee. And if there are problems, they, they talk through it. Yeah. What's happening in your area, what's happening in your area. Um, and that typically solves 90% of the problems because before it becomes an issue where you start giving each other the silent treatment, you have that set meeting where you discuss financials, new strategy, Um, One of the most important things I recommend to clients who bring me in, so my speciality is taking the owners out of the business so they don't actually work in the business, is to have that meeting so that the staff also know what the direction of this business is. Mm. If they don't know that we're aiming to expand into another location and we really need to improve this area, customer service, or if we're changing tyres, especially sport tyres or something like that, they don't know what they're working towards. They're just coming in, collecting a check and going home. Yeah, you want them to be part of that growth phase exactly. and to be, to, to be not necessarily emotionally invested, but certainly feel as though that their time that they're putting into it is, is going towards something. Exactly. And I feel like a marriage counsellor when I say this, but the most <laughs> important thing is once you have more than two people in the business, communication. Yes. You have to communicate with each other. Yeah, I'm a big fan of recommending even, even yeah, like you said, even just at the two business, two people phase, that you have whips, mm-hmm. that you have regular weekly meetings, mm-hmm. um, that people can suggest we want to talk about this, we want to talk about this. An agenda doesn't need to be an A4 piece of paper with letterhead. It can just simply be uh, two or three bullet points of what, what we're going to discuss. Make sure you get to all those discussion points that everybody feels as though they're being heard mm-hmm. and include your staff on that journey. They don't have to be there for the whole meeting. No. If you're talking about you know long-term financials, maybe they don't need to know about that. Mm-hmm. But on the ground stuff, mm-hmm. I actually, um, one of our recent guests actually, he runs, well, he has run about 14 different cafes, hugely successful. Mm-hmm. He's still got a couple of those and now he's moving into a different aspect. But the thing that really impressed me when we went to his cafe was um, the one of the managers who was serving us. He was a, essentially a waiter. Mm-hmm. Their rapport mm-hmm. was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And he not only said, you know, what do you want to order in terms of the wine, but he also said a quick little banter about what was going on, how's it going today, just a quick little, you know, debrief on mm-hmm. what's been happening and even a next level up. So not just, you know, how many drinks have you sold, but what did people think mm-hmm. of this? What have you thought about this new 
but involving the mm-hmm. staff and that to me um, not only impressed me in terms of the way obviously the business is run in that five minutes mm-hmm. but also the rapport that he has with not only his staff but I guess other people in general. I think the key thing that if I walk into a business and it, it's become a bit of a skill of mine if I, I can walk in and typically tell what the issues are if I walk in and um, the staff are communicating really well with the manager and each other there's very little chance that there's going to be a problem um, that's one of the key things you see in a successful business. The owner and the staff really respect one another. He's not trying to intimidate them mm. and they're not trying to slide in a, a cheeky smoke out the back just so that they don't get caught and they feel like they're making a little bit, bit of money back. Um, it's not supposed to be adversarial between the two, two parties. You should be working together as a team. And if you can figure that out with your staff, literally, the sky is the limit. Mm. Um, I, and you'll I, hang on to your staff too because that, that mutual respect means that they don't want to necessarily leave. Not that that's a good thing. It's not always a good idea to hoard your staff, as I've been told by a previous guest, but that respect, that mutual respect is a, is a great piece of I've advice. I've got two restaurant clients in the same geographical area. Mm. One of them is saying it is impossible to get good staff and the other is saying <laughs> my staff have been with me for two years plus each. And they are all and they're in the same they're area. They're happy and if, even if they go leave, they'll come back and work part-time for them because they love the environment. So maybe the response is it's impossible to to find good staff. The response is well, perhaps it's impossible to be a good boss. Maybe. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. Um, it's more taking normal staff and turning them into great staff. Mm. So, for example, two coffee shops, coffee shops that have problems will say, no, we don't train everyone to use the the coffee machine because we need to have our problems. I mean, our, our responsibilities delegated. Whereas the most the most successful ones is. Everyone is trained on the coffee machine yeah. because you can anyone can slot in there and make a great coffee. Do you know who does this really well? I had a friend of mine who got headhunted for the um, the head of IT for Aldi, mm-hmm. and it was a six month training program. Mm-hmm. And he said to them, well, "Why why is it six months? I, I know how to all the systems and processes. I've done this." They said, "Because you start stacking the shelves." Mm-hmm. So they pay. <laughs> basically a chief information officer, the same rate to stack the shelves. And they work their way through all of the jobs in Aldi before they get to become the chief information officer in six months' time. What a remarkable You would be surprised how many of the largest companies do this. So I used to work for Uh Coca-Cola. And everyone in Coca-Cola, from the CEO down to, you know, the guy who works in the stores, they have to spend a week in the market, each one of them per year. So uh, I was there, I'm showing my age now, when Mother was released... And they sent me out. I was working just under the chief financial officer. And they sent me out to, to stack stills, uh, shelves. And we got to talk to the customers. We got to see the actual problems that happen in the market. And you come back. And when you look at numbers on a page, you actually know, all right, that's why that happened. And it brings everyone together as one group because everyone's associated with this product. Mm, so bringing it back down to small business again, perhaps it is a good idea to make sure that everyone is aware of mm-hmm. what everyone else's role is without obviously being ridiculous number of hats. And that is one of the re- one of the key ex- exercises we have with business owners who want to leave the business. Mm. Um, they'd like to, like you say, working on the business rather than in the business. Once your employees know other aspects of the job, they can slot in. You know, you're not always on call. You can call Jenny if, you know, Kim has called off sick. She can slot in and you can organise something. When you have set responsibilities and there's no cross-training, suddenly you've just pencilled yourself into a problem and you're always thinking, what's going to go wrong next? Yeah. Top tip today, cross-fit your business. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. You are here with Alexi Boyd and Salman Khan. We're going to be back after this. And you are listening to Community Radio 100.1 FM. My name is Alexi Boyd. All 
things small business is what we're passionate about here on Small Biz Matters. And today we are talking about learning from others' mistakes. We're talking about uh, insolvency and the errors that people make along the way in the different phases of their business and how you, in your fabulous business, which of course never would have any of these errors, None, <laughs> is, is, is tickling, ticking along nicely. But let's, let's have a look at some of the mistakes other people make. At the beginning of the show, Salman was talking about his experience with creating, um, uh, well, basically making businesses insolvent, which must be just not particularly a pleasant thing to do ever. But in some cases, it's a choice, isn't it? Sometimes businesses choose to become insolvent because they they just might not want to do it anymore. They feel like they're just treading water. Maybe they want to go back and get a Mm -hmm. J-O-B. And and in those cases, I guess it's a good thing. But you have had scenarios where it's been particularly unpleasant. Yes. But it's not across a particular industry, is it? It It can happen anywhere. Here's the thing, in any industry, in any part of Australia, you're not safe. Um, there, there's a lot of statistics that go around and say, um, typically, I'd say 90% of the 90% that fail are because they didn't solve that first problem mm. and they didn't figure out that business plan. Um, running of starting a business is ridiculously easy. You just have to register a business, put a, put a little bit of money aside and, and get it going. It's growing the business to maturity and taking it to the next level. That's the hard part. Mm. Um, and I know this is something you specialize in yourself, uh, working on the business rather than in the business. So, you know, a bit of advice here. If, if you are scared to start a business, the first question you should probably answer is, what problem am I, am I solving for the customer? Um, and how am I going to solve that problem for the customer? If you can answer that question, your odds of succeeding in business go up manyfold. Mm. As opposed to, I've got a widget, how mm-hmm. can I sell this? Exactly. Mm. It's a different way of approaching things and I think wrapped up in that is, of course, uh, the processes and procedures we talk a lot about on the show and keeping it practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, checklists, checklists are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trello, great program for keeping things in a step-by-step process. I'm a big fan of Trello. Mm-hmm. Getting things out of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having a, a piece of paper next to your bed when things pop into your mind. I literally did it yesterday evening thinking, oh, must remember to do this. Um, because we, we do have so much in our brains um, that are not just about the business, but because we wear so many hats. We've also got the family life to consider, family finance, our own business. It's not like a J-O-B where you just walk out five o'clock, punch out and go home. But that's a mistake I see a lot of business owners making. They try and wear too many hats, Mm. um, particularly during the growth, towards the end of the growth phase. Because when you start a business, you bootstrap everything. So you're the one who's there opening it up every morning. You're the one fixing the car, doing the books, cleaning the cleaning the business. Um, once you grow, you should probably start offloading a lot of that stuff, particularly the admin work. Um, a lot. I, I've actually seen on message boards people asking for tips on how to prepare their own company tax return. No, don't do that. <laughs> There's a reason why it takes four years in university yeah. and then years after that to learn it. It's, exactly. it's not a simple process. And it typically costs a couple of hundred dollars to just over a thousand. I mean, why would you spend that kind of time? That's right. And I think what people do is they don't value their time and what it takes to run it. So I've got a great little exercise that I give people as part of my bookkeeping practice, which is Boyd Office Management Services. <gasps> Proud supporters of Triple H. I have to say that because I'm a sponsor. But anyway, so what we do is we, we go through their overheads. You have a look at your top line expenses and you basically look at it a whole year. What did I pay for? Insurance, motor vehicle, rent, um, you know, your typical overheads that would only happen if you run a business and nothing else. Then you divide it by 38 because there's only 38 um, hours in a week if you run a small business, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And then you divide it by um, 48 uh, yeah, 48 weeks in the year. Mm-hmm. So you get an hourly rate, mm-hmm. an hourly cost for each of those components, add them all up. And that's your hourly cost that it, it 
that's your minimum that you have to earn to make your business break even Mm -hmm. on an hourly basis. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone is cheaper than that Mm -hmm. to do something that you need to be working on, it's just a calculable, it's a good little round number that says, like I spoke to a plumber a few years ago and I said to him, how much does it cost you to run your business per hour? And he said $66.47. He'd done this exercise. Mm -hmm. So he knows he needs to earn that much every hour Mm -hmm at least, to break even. And similarly, he knows if he's got someone who's cheaper than that to help him with his admin, to help him with his et cetera, et cetera, then it's worth it. I agree with that to a certain extent, but you also need to factor in expertise because even if you are doing that work, if mm. you haven't spent the years building up that skill, you're going to spend way more time than that. So, for example, I know that I'm a trained accountant. I've got a background in numbers and books and law and all that stuff. But when I started my business, I, I you have to admit that I don't know everything. So I actually spent several hundred dollars sitting with a marketing consultant saying, how do I position this business? How yes. can I, I, I've, read, I've read a lot of marketing books, but when you sit with someone who's done that much work and does it every day, he could say something to you in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That could take you three years to figure out. Mm-hmm. That's and right. you don't know what you don't know. And what small business owners, I often find they, they don't know what they don't know and they try and do it all themselves when if they just hired the right expert in the right field, um, it makes a world of difference. I've just uh, come off a meeting a couple of days ago where someone hired a social media manager. Typically, I don't recommend you hire someone to do your social, but he was at that point where he needed someone to. And he spends a couple of hundred dollars a month, and it's pretty much increased business for his restaurant maybe 15 to 20%. Wow, that's phenomenal. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's huge growth. Yeah, and it's worth every penny. But he needed to recognise when mm-hmm. he needed to implement that and what was an appropriate person and also finding the right person, that's yes. as well. I always say that the internet is everyone's worst best friend mm-hmm. because there is so much free information out there and it's hard to discern what is the good nuggets of information, whereas you can just find the right person and they will give you that good nuggets and of information straight away. if you have a mentor or an advisor who has been through these scenarios a hundred times, they know the right person for the job. And your professional association, they can often help you with top tips as well and also recommend people that would be really useful in your industry to help. So one of the people that people often look at is is lawyers. So I will say this first and foremost, not no two lawyers are the same. Um, So if one of my clients come to me and say, look, uh, we've got this issue, it could be an IP issue, a real estate issue, an insolvency issue, something. I have a different lawyer for every job. Mm. Um, and if they had to go out and interview each lawyer and they don't really know what they're looking for, mm-hmm. they could end up with the wrong guy who puts them in the wrong position, as I've seen happen sometimes. Um, so sometimes just having a general point of contact who knows people, it doesn't have to be your accountant. It could be a mentor. It could be someone who's run a business for several years before you who you respect. Have them on board. It can make the difference between you being here this year and being in the Bahamas. <laughs> on, a, on a different note. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, look, that's, um, that's some fantastic advice to us to finish on. It's a really great way to look at finding the trusted advisor, knowing what sort of questions to ask and then, and then how to search for that person and what sort of associations or people mm-hmm. that you can ask to get there. Now, Salman, give us a quick plug for your website and tell us where we can find out more about you. Well, if you've liked what I've been talking about today, if you've got a bit of confidence in the, in the advice, um, the name of the company is Tact Advisory. My name is Salman Khan, S-A-L-M-I-N. Um, the website is tactnsw.com, T-A-C-T-N-S-W, and we specialise in sending business owners on European vacation. <laughs> 
That's great. I must come and see you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the program. And of course, today, if you've been just listening and just joining us now, you can catch up on the full podcast and all 120 of our podcasts from our fantastic guests via www.smallbizmatters.com.au. All the blogs and podcasts are there. The event calendar is there with lots of information. And of course, you can find out more about the show there too. If you yourself an expert and would like to come on the program, make sure you get in touch. And it's on European vacation. <laughs> That's great. I must come and see you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the program. And of course, today, if you've been just listening and just joining us now, you can catch up on the full podcast and all 120 of our podcasts from our fantastic guests via www.smallbizmatters.com.au. All the blogs and podcasts are there. The event calendar is there with lots of information. And of course, you can find out more about the show there too. If you yourself an expert and would like to come on the program, make sure you get in touch and we can have a chat. Thank you once again for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you all next week with Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd.